Beast Watch News, watching the rising beast of Revelation. This week, more on unraveling the difference between religious and kingdom language and why the elect needs to understand this issue thoroughly. A little bit about the economy, too, but first, how Trump's administration just confirmed Yeshua's word about the Great Tribulation. The Trump administration fulfilled a one-word prophecy from Scripture this week. It is a word that came directly from Yeshua's mouth, and it's a word that he said, when we hear it, know that the end is near. The war between the end times kings of the north and south is escalating as the U.S. appears to be pushing forward with a planned war against Iran. Now that the economy is doing well and Americans are happy with their pockets, Trump's plan to take back control of the Middle East soil can move forward. In response to the threat of a possible attack on U.S. forces by Iran and an attack against four oil freighters off the coast of the UAE on Sunday, the U.S. military decided to send additional firepower to the Middle East. U.S. Central Command reported last week there are clear indications that Iranian and Iranian proxy forces were making preparations to possibly attack U.S. forces in the region based on an escalating series of threatening actions and statements in recent weeks. Last week, the Times reported that John Bolton had been a longtime advocate of using military force against Tehran, even penning an op-ed in 2015 titled, Top Stop Iran's Bomb, Bomb Iran. Fox Business reported the U.S. military sent four additional B-52 bombers to the Middle East. Business Insider adds the addition of a carrier strike group, fighter jets, an amphibious landing ship, and a surface-to-air missile battery, and up to 120,000 troops could be sent to the Middle East with an eye toward attacking Iran. What's the truth? If the U.S. cannot provoke Iran into starting a war, uh, the U.S. will start it. At least Trump's posturing appears to be sending this message. Four ships, two Saudi, one Norwegian, and one Emirati, were damaged on Sunday off the coast of the United Arab Emirates in what Emirati officials described as acts of sabotage near the port of Faraja. The incident happened 140 kilometers south of the Strait of Hormuz, where about one-third of all oil traded by the sea passes through. Also, armed drones attacked two oil pumping stations in Saudi Arabia on Tuesday in what Riyadh called a cowardly act by Iran's proxy Houthi rebels in Yemen two days after Saudi oil tankers were sabotaged off the coast of the UAE. Iranian officials accused hardliners in the United States and elsewhere of attempting to orchestrate an incident that would ratchet up tensions with the Islamic Republic, the Iranian supreme leader, leader rather, vowed there would be no war. 
However, the Trump administration's quick response of a planned deployment suggests Ayatollah Khomeini may be right. It may be that the Trump administration is provoking a conflict with Iran. The United States has approximately 1.3 million active duty troops with another another 865,000 in reserve. This amounts to around 10% of the U.S. military that would be deployed to the Middle East. That raises the question of whether or not Iran will respond to such a deployment and possible attack by the U.S. or Israel. The proposed deployment of hardware and troops comes exactly a year after Washington unilaterally withdrew from the 2015 Iran nuclear deal and renewed sanctions against the Islamic Republic's financial, oil, and banking sectors. The U.S. has also labeled Iran's elite Revolutionary Guard Corps a terrorist organization, triggering a tit-for-tat response from Tehran. On Monday, the U.S. military briefed President Donald Trump's national security aides on a revamped plan that could result in the deployment of up to 120,000 troops to the Middle East, according to national security officials cited in a New York Times report published on Monday. The U.S. military did not create this plan overnight. A troop deployment of this magnitude takes weeks or even months to organize. The plan reportedly calls for the deployment of troops in the event that Iran either attacks U.S. forces or ramps up its nuclear weapons program, according to several unnamed U.S. officials. The plan does not indicate whether U.S. troops would invade Iran, The number of troops deployed to the Middle East would be close to the roughly 130,600 service members deployed to Iraq in 2003. The latest blueprint is an updated version of a destabilizing cyber warfare operation called Nitro Zeus, which would target Iran's power grid and military. Some officials reportedly said the plan was updated in past years and the latest charges were influenced by National Security Advisor John Bolton. He is a hawkish foreign policy advisor to President Trump. Lavrov said Mike Pompeo told him that a potential deployment of 120,000 U.S. troops to the Mideast was only a rumor. Pay attention. This is the word. Rumor. Rumors not only start wars, but rumors are a sign of the coming great tribulation. Matthew 24, 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this will take place, but the end is not yet. Isn't it interesting how the news actually reports Yeshua's very words? When was the last time a U.S. administration actually said a report of impending war troops to an enemy nation was just a rumor? Never. 
In World War II, the U.S. and its allies had a rumors bureau, but they did not make statements to the public using the word rumor. Rumors of all kinds were spread in the media, just as the media does today. Rumors are always part of a war. In fact, a successful rumor mill is valuable during war, but to have a U.S. administration actually use the Bible's term rumor in regard to troop deployments is rare, and I believe it is a significant clue as to where this U.S.-Iran conflict is headed. When you hear this term that came from Yeshua's mouth 2,000 years ago, coming from the mouth of a U.S. administration official, your ears should perk up and you should take notice. Don't be alarmed, as Yeshua said, because there is more to come. Just realize that now you've heard that word this war is definitely coming, so prepare. RT.com says Trump's neocon assault underway against Iran is dripping in lies and deceit. It is one of the most mendacious examples of imperialist aggression in years. This Russian Times article reflects Russia's outlook on the Trump administration's attack on its closest ally, Iran. Be warned, Trump does not believe Russia will attack the U.S. on American soil. Perhaps he is blinded by his own hubris or the bad advice of John Bolton. Nonetheless, Americans will not be safe in their beds or on their couches, driving on their highways, going about their self-absorbed daily routines for very long. Whether it comes sooner or later, Russia will rise up in defense of Iran against the United States. Here is what RT.com has to say. The willful and brazen inversion of the truth in matters of war and peace is the non-negotiable condition of every empire there has been. The fabrication of pretexts for intimidation, aggression, and attack is crucial to the ability of an empire to run its writ, whatever it so decides, rather. And so it is today when it comes to Washington's increasingly belligerent words, threats, and actions against the Islamic Republic of Iran. In an unholy alliance with Saudi Arabia and Israel, and with the usual clutch of supine European satellites going along to get along, the Trump administration, which two years after entering the White House promising to put an end to endless wars, has engineered a neocon renaissance in Washington, now satisfied with bearing down on Venezuela, his administration is going after Iran with the gusto of a rabid dog that hasn't eaten in days. The author says, I am not here to ridicule or disparage, but instead to warn of the folly of unleashing war on Iran. Diplomacy, not belligerency, is the road to salvation in our time. And thus, President Trump would be well advised to wake up to the fact that his real enemies are at home, in the form of John Bolton and Mike Pompeo. 
Iran now has no other choice than to prepare to defend itself by any means necessary. Let us thus hope that the outcome of this ill-conceived adventure on the part of Washington is that the country's president in years to come continues to end his or her speeches with the refrain of God bless America rather than God help America. Additionally, Trump threatens anyone trading aluminum, iron, steel, and copper with Iran. An executive order signed by President Donald Trump last Wednesday says the property of anyone who owns or operates or engages in significant transactions with Iran's metal sector will be seized by the U.S. under sanctions laws. Likewise, anyone accused of materially assisting, sponsoring, or supporting anyone who is sanctioned will have their property blocked as well. The blocked property may not be transferred, paid, exported, withdrawn, or otherwise dealt in, says the executive order. The sanctions apply to property inside the U.S. or in possession or control of any U.S. person. The Treasury Department announced it would allow a 90-day wind-down period for any transactions related to Iran's metal sector. The likely reason Houthi rebels attacked Saudi Arabia's oil pumping stations may have to do with the fact that Saudi Arabia announced it is prepared to fulfill Iran's oil contracts now that Trump has announced the new sanctions rather, on May 2nd. In fact, the Times of Israel reported last Friday that Iran was indeed weighing an attack on Saudi oil production facilities and Israel. Saudi Arabia is set to do very nicely from President Donald Trump's tougher oil sanctions on Iran. Bloomberg reports that the Arab Kingdom is poised to raise its own output to meet all requests for oil purchases it has received for June, notably from countries that have had to stop buying Iranian crude. Other Persian Gulf Arab countries with spare production capacity, Iraq, Kuwait, and the UAE, will almost certainly follow suit. According to Bloomberg's report, Saudi Arabia has plenty of room to boost its output without breaching the production's target it agreed for the first half of 2019 as part of the OPEC deal to manage oil supplies. That arrangement gave the kingdom a target of 10.3 million barrels a day. Output in April was more than 500,000 barrels a day below that level. The other Arab producers are not in that position. For them, boosting supplies means breaching the terms of December's agreement. That is unlikely to stop them, though, from taking advantage of Iran's difficulties. However, it is doubtful the Trump administration will look unfavorably on their breach since it helps the U.S. war effort against Iran. The U.S. Middle East allies may be stepping up with glee to Trump's new Iran sanctions, but the Europeans are not as happy. 
British Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt told reporters in Brussels, We are very worried about the risk of a conflict happening by accident with an escalation that is unintended really on either side but ends with some kind of conflict. Major General Chris Geeka said he sees no increased threat to American troops from Iran. Intelligence and military officials in Europe, as well as in the United States, said that over the past year, most aggressive moves have originated not in Tehran, but in Washington, where John Bolton, the national security advisor, has prodded President Trump into backing Iran into a corner. One American official, speaking on the condition of anonymity to discuss confidential internal planning, said the new intelligence of an increased Iranian threat was small stuff and did not merit the military planning being driven by Mr. Bolton. The official also said the ultimate goal of the year-long economic sanctions campaign by the Trump administration was to draw Iran into an armed conflict with the United States. And on Tuesday, the State Department appeared on the verge of ordering a partial evacuation of the American embassy in Baghdad as a heightened security measure, according to people familiar with the plans. The anti-Iran push has proved difficult, even among the Allies, which remember a similar campaign against Iraq that was led in part by Mr. Bolton and was fueled by false claims that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. Federica Mogherini, the European Union's foreign affairs chief, called for maximum restraint after meeting on Monday in Brussels with Mr. Pompeo, a proponent of the maximum pressure campaign against Iran. Iraqi officials said they were skeptical of the American intelligence that Mr. Pompeo presented last week on a surprise trip to Baghdad. Mr. Pompeo said the threat was to American facilities and military personnel in Iraq. Privately, several European officials described Mr. Bolton and Mr. Pompeo as pushing an unsuspecting Mr. Trump through a series of steps that could put the United States on a course to war before the President realizes it. Or are Bolton and Pompeo making it appear that Trump is unsuspecting, unaware? President Trump's election campaign included a promise to get America out of the Middle East. He cannot afford to appear to be warmongering. But Trump's unawareness also shows him to be somewhat stupid, a trait that Donald Trump is not. Officials said Mr. Trump was unaware that Mr. Bolton's instinctual approach to Iran could lead to where. Aides suggested that the president's own aversion to drawn-out overseas conflicts would be the best hope of putting the brakes on military escalation. This ploy of the Trump administration has a twofold effect, the second of which is to give Trump an out by being seen as reining in Bolton and Pompeo should the need arise for the U.S. backing away from the full-scale conflict at this time. In other words, it makes a good cover for war posturing. 
One big worry is that the Trump administration has issued the most expansive type of warning to Iran without drawing specific red lines. That has increased the chance of a military conflict over misinterpretations and miscalculations. In a statement this month, Mr. Bolton outlined vague terms of what appeared to be conditions for military engagement, responding to what he said were troubling and escalatory indications and warnings. He said any attack on United States interests or on those of our allies will be met with unrelenting force, and he warned that the administration was fully prepared to respond to any attack by the Iranian military or a proxy, one of the Middle East's many Shiite militias that are supported by Iran. The Shiite militias allied with Iran sometimes act on their own, but they are mostly ready to do Iran's bidding when it comes to mutual enemies. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, a prominent foreign policy hawk, voiced confidence in a new interview that the U.S. could win a war with Iran, saying it would take two strikes. Yes, two strikes, he told Margaret Hoover of Firing Line when asked if the U.S. could win a war against Iran. The first strike and the last strike are the two strikes he was referring to. Cotton said he would not advocate for a war with Iran, but warned there would be a furious response to any provocation against U.S. interests in the region. I don't advocate military action against Iran. I'm simply delivering the message that if Iran were to attack the United States, it would be a grave miscalculation on their part, and there would be a furious response, he said. Update. Thursday, May 16, 2019. Time zone GMT plus 3, 9.49 a.m. The U.S. issued a travel warning on April 9, 2019 for U.S. citizens traveling to Iran, but updated the travel warning for Iraq on May 15, 2019. The U.S. also began evacuating non-emergency embassy personnel from Baghdad, Iraq, in preparation for war with Iran. The April Iran travel warning says do not travel to Iran due to the risk of kidnapping, arrest, and detention of U.S. citizens. This is a very high risk of kidnapping, arrest, and detention of U.S. citizens in Iran, particularly dual national Iranian Americans. Iranian authorities continue to unjustly detain and imprison U.S. citizens particularly Iranian Americans, including students, journalists, business travelers, and academics on charges including espionage and posing a threat to national security. Consular access to detained U.S. citizens is often denied. This April 9th warning means the U.S. was planning this war over a month ago, but no one noticed because the mainstream media ignored it. On Wednesday, May 15, 2019, the U.S. issued an Iraq travel warning. Do not travel to Iraq due to terrorism, kidnapping, and armed conflict. 
U.S. citizens in Iraq are at high risk for violence and kidnapping. Numerous terrorist and insurgent groups are active in Iraq and regularly attack both Iraqi security forces and civilians. Anti-U.S. sectarian militias may also threaten U.S. citizens and Western companies throughout Iraq. Attacks by improvised explosive devices, IEDs, occur in many areas of the country, including Baghdad. Follow the links in this article for the full travel warnings. The U.S. also issued a warning to Israel that it is not to attack Iran, according to Hal Turner. I was unable to verify his statement in any news media outlet. The rumor of war may be about to become war. Now, here's a little hint about the booming U.S. economy. I have said for many years that the Babylonian American economy would be booming when end times Babylon was destroyed. Babylon's booming economy is described in Revelation 18, which says the merchants of the earth will mourn their loss because she will not be able to buy from them anymore. They don't care about her people. They stand back from her, not even helping her while they mourn for the loss of money. Yes, end times Babylon America is doing well, and this is another sign the end is close. And now that Trump has soothed the American consumer beast with falling unemployment that is near to a 50-year low and rising income, he knows Americans will follow him anywhere especially since where he is going is being touted as guarding or protecting Israel according to Ezekiel 38.7 it's a trap folks and now the third rail of understanding now let's continue to unravel the truth about the Israeli and Palestinian issue in light of what Judaism calls anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist and that these are as Lashon Hara as well. As I told you last week, there is no such terminology as anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist or Lashon Hara in the Bible. These are purely religious terms from Judaism. Yahweh has provided a way for us to speak that is righteous. And this way of speaking also helps us to see through the knots in our religions, Judaism and Christianity, and in world politics. To that end, let's look at the lies that are being spoken by Israel's enemies. Yes, I'm going to take Israel's side there are two particular lying women in the US Congress we should know about and understand how they are misleading Americans with propaganda against Israel these are representatives Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar under the Torah's laws both speak as 
false witnesses against Israel, the UN-created political state of Israel, not to be confused with biblical Israel, as they are both abusers who rail against Israel to stir up hatred toward the Jewish people. What is the difference between the UN-created political state of Israel and biblical Israel? One was created by man at the behest of Yahweh for the purposes of beginning to fulfill his prophecies of ingathering, reunifying, and restoring biblical Israel, his nation comprised of 12 tribes, not four. The modern state of Israel is Jewish only, and I have taught extensively how modern Israel is not the kingdom, not biblical Israel but it leads to the kingdom biblical Israel modern Israel must exist it is fulfilling end times Bible prophecies in which the houses of Judah and Israel will help each other and fight with each other on the Gog Magog battlefield the final battle of the 2900 year old civil war of the kingdom of Israel let us not forget that many Jews and Christians are from the same physical family and so are many Muslims living in modern Israel today Yahweh's people none of them are worshipping him the way he said to none of them know him the way he said he wanted to be known so here we are dealing with unraveling who each other is and figuring out the lies each speaks that is contrary to scripture and the lies that are spoken against them as well therein lies the job that Yahweh has given me to the elect let's put Judaism Christianity and Islam aside to look at what Yahweh said in the beginning because he and his definitions never change through Yahweh's history in scripture let's look at the truth because the truth if we understand it from the beginning will inform our understanding of today's events so we're going to go back in time some people want you to believe that Palestine is a modern made up name saying Palestine did not exist in ancient times while others want you to believe Israel did not exist in ancient times but only came about in modern times both are lies and both are evil the people on both sides who make these claims do so out of hatred for our brethren in modern Israel it is us the elect who know better who can fight both sides but in order to fight both sides we must take what I call the third rail position we must run on the third rail as it were so now let's look at representative Rashida Tlaib's statements this week her account of the Arab-Israeli conflict in which she deployed deliberately imprecise language misled her listeners about the early history of the conflict in Palestine and 
misrepresenting its present and possible future, according to theatlantic.com. Tlaib told the hosts of the Yahoo News podcast, Skullduggery, that when she remembers the Holocaust, it has a calming effect on her to think that it was her ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives, their livelihood, their human dignity, their existence in some ways that had been wiped out. All of it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews post the Holocaust, post the tragedy and horrific persecution of Jews across the world at that time. She was, she said, humbled by the fact that it was her Palestinian ancestors that had to suffer for that to happen. The reality in this 2,900-year-old biblical civil war is quite different. Yes, her northern tribe ancestors did suffer, but they suffered back then not because of the Jews, but because of their own sins. This is the beginning of the third rail understanding. Each side suffers for their own sins, but each side inflicts suffering on the other. This is the biblical third rail perspective. The first battle between them happened under Rehoboam's son Abijah. Yahweh did not allow Rehoboam to make war on the northern tribes, but when war finally came, it destroyed the house of Israel. In Second Chronicles 13.2, it says, He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. Now there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. In verses 13 to 17, the Bible says Jeroboam had sent an ambush around to come upon them from behind. Thus his troops were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked, behold, the battle was in front of and behind them. And they cried to the Lord, and the priests blew the trumpets. Then the men of Judah raised the battle shout, and when the men of Judah shouted, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. The men of Israel fled before Judah, and God gave them into their hand. Abijah and his people struck them with great force, so there fell slain of Israel 500,000 chosen men. This is the first battle in the civil war. Why did Yahweh destroy the house of Israel in this first battle? He was trying to bring Jeroboam and the ten northern tribes that he led back into the fold. The first thing Jeroboam did was lead the northern tribes away from the capital of Yahweh who gave Jeroboam the ten northern tribes in the first place. After the kingdom split, 1 Kings 12:26 and 27 tells us that Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to other sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. 
It was a sin to not go to Jerusalem for the feasts 2,900 years ago, and it is still a sin today. 1 Kings 14 tells the account of Jeroboam's son, whose name was also Abijah, and who had fallen ill. Jeroboam sent his wife to inquire of Ahijah, the prophet who had told Jeroboam that Yahweh was going to rip ten tribes from Solomon, to ask what would become of Abijah, who was ill. She went deceitfully to Ahijah in a disguise, so Ahijah wouldn't know who she was because Jeroboam knew he had disobeyed Yahweh. But Yahweh told Ahijah she was coming to ask about the life of her son, and he was told by Yahweh to deliver a pointed message. Your son will die. 1 Kings 14, verses 6 to 10. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you, and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam, and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free, in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Neither Solomon nor Jeroboam, neither of their houses or their lineages, will inherit David's throne. This first battle led to hundreds more over the last three millennia until we are faced with an ultimate battle designed by Yahweh to mock both houses and destroy their religions. Why? Because God will not be mocked, Jeroboam, and followers of Jeroboam who reject Yahweh's feast commandments like Jeroboam what are the religions of the modern Palestinians most of whom are ancient house of Israelites well they're Christianity and Islam and some Palestinians know they are from the house of Judah and they practice Judaism in secret the Atlantic article Quotes Professor Benny Morris, a leading scholar of British Mandatory Palestine and the formation of the country of Israel, who says, Rashida Tlaib is either completely ignorant of the history or is a deliberate liar. Well, she is a liar. In the 20th century, the Palestinians not only did nothing to alleviate the suffering of the Jews at Nazi hands, but they did all they could to prevent Jews trying to escape Nazi hands from reaching the relatively safe shores of Palestine. 
Morris noted that the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, Haj Amin al-Husseini, called for the massacre of Jews in the Arab world on Nazi radio stations and anti-Jewish jihad and helped the Nazis recruit Muslims from the Balkans for the SS and Wehrmacht. The transcripts of the meeting between Husseini and Adolf Hitler on November 28, 1941 show that Husseini told Hitler the Arabs were Germany's natural friends because they had the same enemies as Germany, namely the English, the Jews, and the communists. Therefore, they were prepared to cooperate with Germany with all their hearts and stood ready to participate in the war, not only negatively by the commission of acts of sabotage and the instigation of revolutions, but also positively by the formation of an Arab legion. Well, let's unravel this as well. The Germans and English, along with the modern Palestinian Hebrews, are the same stock from the northern tribes of Israel who mixed with the indigenous peoples of the regions now known as Germany and England. Yahweh said at the time of the end, brothers would fight brothers. This was said particularly about the Gog-Magog war that will happen on the mountains of Israel, also known as the West Bank, in Ezekiel 38.21. Now, Ilan Omar, this abusive speaker violating Leviticus 25.17, which says, You shall not therefore oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God, practices what the Bible calls oppression, or yana, which really doesn't mean oppression. You shall not, yana, or oppress means to rage with words and also to be violent. Both Taleb and Omar, yana, or rage against Israel, but they are also lying by twisting their facts. Last week, Ilan Omar appeared to take the side of Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad after terrorists fired hundreds of rockets at civilian targets in Israel. In a tweet she asked, How many more protesters must be shot, rockets must be fired, and little kids must be killed until the endless cycle of violence ends? The status quo of occupation and humanitarian crisis in Gaza is unsustainable. Only real justice can bring about security and lasting peace. Omar, if you want the violence to end, stop blaming it on the Jews and get Hamas to take responsibility for their actions or you will see what Yahweh will do. Your evil people will die for their sins, just as your evil ancestors died for their sins in that first war between the houses. The article continues, Omar's comments follow, followed terrorists firing over 600 rockets into southern Israel. Other reports said 700 killing at least four Israelis. 
Israeli counterstrikes at what the Israeli defense forces said were military targets killed at least a dozen Palestinians. A pregnant Palestinian woman and her infant niece were among those killed, but the Israelis said a misfired Palestinian rocket, not an Israeli airstrike, caused those deaths, disputing a Gaza Health Ministry statement that Israel was to blame. Omar and Taleb, who are both well-documented anti-Semites, and yes, I used that word, but they are real documented Shanaites, abusers, oppressors, rushed to attack Israel and defended the terrorism that was being carried out against Israel. Once again, Yahweh's definition for what these two women do is not anti-Semitism, but Shana, abuse. It is also false witness against Yahweh's people. Let's not take sides under anti-Semitism, but under what Yahweh meant when he said it. This is the righteous way. Anything less only puts us in the muddy waters of religion and does not uphold the kingdom at all. Their abuse of Israel is splitting American politics. Far-left Democrats are siding with Israel's abusers. Republicans and Christian conservatives are now being forced to side with Judaism. This is why the elect must take the third rail view, which is that both sides are wrong. This is the kingdom view. Once again, Israel faces a barrage of deadly rocket attacks by terrorist groups Hamas and Islamic Jihad. We support Israel 100% in its defense of its citizen, Donald Trump said. He is right. It is time to put a stop to the Palestinian terrorism. It is time for Israel to do the righteousness that Yahweh called them to do. If they will do it, if they will restore all 12 tribes to full equality, allow believers in Yeshua to make Aliyah without requiring conversion to Judaism, rule over all the people and perform capital punishment of all killers and terrorists, remove the homosexuality and Masonic idolatry from Yahweh's land, they will have Peace. We will have peace. But because they won't do this, there will be a final battle between the two houses, Israel and the Palestinians, with the Gog Magog War, after which they will see each other for who they are for the first time in almost 3,000 years. That's what it's going to take. Now I've been accused of hating Israel. Nothing could be further from the truth. The fact is, I love Yeshua's, Yahweh's kingdom more. I love our people on both sides. We can only see the truth and know where the future is leading 
If we follow Yahweh and not man's religions or politics. That's it for this Beast Watch News Update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecies.